We are in a teaching series called Made for More. And this is actually the final weekend of this teaching series. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, declaring that we as a church are made for more. And that we as individual followers of Christ, we are made for more. And so we have worked our way talking about, first off, the internal parts of engaging this more life that we've been called to, right? More revelation of who Jesus is in our lives. More revelation of, of the gospel and how important the, the, the gospel is in our lives. And more of an understanding of the masterpiece that Jesus created us to be. And that every way that he wired us and designed us was so that we could fulfill the purposes for which he created us. And then we shifted to the, the outward, the expression of that we are called to do more, to embrace that we have both an internal ministry within the church and an external ministry outside the church. And last week we talked about going more and, and, and that we are called to be everyday missionaries where we live, work, and play and to live out that masterpiece that, that God has called us to. And so as we get into chapter 6, the final chapter of Ephesians, today we're going to deal with made to win more made to win more and before we even get into the the the, the passage I, I just want to talk about what does winning more mean what does winning more even look like well we just had a few thoughts as a staff as we discussed this that winning more means advancing the kingdom of God more Right? As, as, as his church, if we're winning more, that means the kingdom of God is advancing. What does that mean? That means that the kingdom of darkness is retreating. And part of our call as a church, as the people of God, is to push back the spirits of darkness, to push back the spirits of darkness, and, and to advance the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God is advancing, that means that heaven is getting bigger and hell is getting smaller, and that is our mission and our passion. But you know what? Winning more also looks like that the temptations and trials of our life don't trip us up or defeat us, that as followers of Christ, we're moving forward. As followers of Christ, we're not getting stuck in the same sin. We're not walking around the same mountain over and over again. We're not falling for the same trick of the devil. We're, we're, we're not falling into any of that. The temptations and trials of life don't trip us up or defeat us. We're winning more. Winning more looks like that we're experiencing more supernatural fruit in our lives. So we're having more Holy Spirit manifestations. We're seeing more answers to prayer. We're seeing more miracles. We're experiencing more of the presence of God because we're winning more. Maybe winning more looks like a unified church that's committed to making disciples. And come on, when we're doing that, we're winning. We're winning. Winning more means we've got more confidence and more boldness that when we share the gospel, that when we pray for people, we're, we're, we're no longer crippled by fear. We're no longer crippled by failures of the past, that we're able to, to move forward and do the things that God has called us to do with confidence and boldness. We live in a spirit of encouragement that together we're encouraging one another to move forward in our callings. Winning more looks like having a greater hunger for the things of God in your life. Who, come on, that's a, if I stopped right there, that'd be an awesome sermon. Come on, we should be fired up about what winning more looks like in our lives. But let's get into our notes. You can find your notes inside your bulletin. 
If you're watching this video, you can find the sermon notes attached to this video on our website. If you're listening to this podcast, you can find the sermon notes attached to the podcast. Or you can use our Kauai Bible Church app and follow along with the notes digitally. But you can see at the top of the notes, our big picture point today is this. We will face spiritual opposition when seeking to mobilize ourselves for the kingdom of God. But we have the keys to victory. Listen, we're going to face spiritual opposition. For the last several weeks, we've been preaching about living as masterpieces and releasing that masterpiece. We've been talking about being everyday missionaries where we live, work, and play. We've been talking about mobilizing ourselves to be the more church that God has called us to be. But when we mobilize ourselves, we're going to face more spiritual opposition. Listen, Christians and churches that aren't doing anything... The devil's not going to waste his time attacking them, right? If, if, if there's an apathetic Christian, if there's a Christian who's immobilized, if there's a Christian that's, that's not doing anything, you're already doing the devil's job for him. He's not going to attack you. You're right where he wants you to be. But it's when we mobilize ourselves. It's when we start dealing with our sin. It's when we start getting out in the world. It's when we start doing spiritual warfare. It's when we start pushing back the forces of darkness. It's when we start sharing the gospel with our friends. That's when spiritual opposition is going to come. So what does that mean? That means that living as masterpieces equals more work and a bigger target. You ever see that old Far Side cartoon, the, the, the comic strip? And, and, and one of the Far Side comic strips was two bears standing there talking to each other. And one of the bears in the fur on his chest was just multiple concentric circles that looked like a target, like a bullseye. And one bear says to the other bear, bummer birthmark, Bob. Right? All the hunters out there appreciate that one. Okay. So, listen, when we live as masterpieces, we get a big old target on us. So if we're going to live as a masterpiece, that means we've got more work to do and there's going to be a bigger target on us. And so you're like, well, then why would we do that? Because it's the most fulfilling thing you will ever do. Because it's the most powerful thing you will ever do. Because everything in your life will come alive when you live as a masterpiece. We just have to understand that it involves more work and a bigger target. The spiritual opposition is going to come but we were made to win more in the face of that spiritual opposition. So let's get into this idea of winning more. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Verse 10, Paul writes, finally, right? He's wrapping up his letter to the Ephesians. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's just stop right there and let's just camp on this for a minute. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You can see in your notes, our first point is this. Our strength comes from our union with Christ. Our strength comes from our union with Christ. I like reading verse 10 in a couple of other translations that helps us understand this. In the Passion Translation, it says this. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of His explosive power flowing in and through you. I love that. 
Experience the strength that comes through your life union with Jesus. How about the Amplified Bible? It says this, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him. Our strength, our victory, comes through our union with Christ. Not through anything that we can muster up ourselves. So what does that mean? That means that our victory starts in the secret place. Our victory starts in nurturing the union that we have with Christ. The intimacy that we have with Christ. When you read about the wars in the Old Testament and and going to war, the most important part for the Israelites about whether they were going to win the war or not had nothing to do with how many soldiers they had, how many soldiers the enemy had, had nothing to do with their strategy and how they were going to go about it. Whether they won the war or not came down to was God with them and were they praying? And if God was with them and they were praying, it didn't matter how outnumbered they were. It didn't matter what the odds were. They were going to be victorious. Right in 2 Chronicles 20, we read about Jehoshaphat. There were five kings who who gathered their nations together to come against the kingdom of Judah. And when Jehoshaphat heard that these five armies were all marching against him, what did he do? He called the nation to fast and pray. And God said, all you've got to do is march out to victory, singing worship songs to me, and I'll win the battle for you. Fast forward a little bit further in 2 Chronicles, and you get to Amaziah. And Amaziah was going to war, and and he enlisted the northern kingdom to join him. And so he paid for soldiers from the northern kingdom to join him. But then a prophet came to him and said, listen, God is not with the northern kingdom. Don't bring these soldiers with you. We will lose the war because God will not be with us. And so Amaziah sent those soldiers home. And they won the war because God was with them. But then Amaziah took the false gods of the nation he defeated, set them up, and started worshiping the false gods. And then full of pride, he went to war again thinking he was going to win. But the second time, he didn't win. Why? Because God wasn't with him. The only thing that determined whether they were going to win the war or not is was God with them and did they pray? And the same principle is true today in every battle that we fight. It starts in the secret place. Is God with us? Are we living in union with Jesus? Are we drawing our strength and our victory from union with Jesus? In Acts chapter 19, we read about this priest named Sceva, and he had seven sons. And these sons saw Paul walking around casting demons out of people. And they thought, that's pretty cool. We can do that. And even better, we can charge for it. So we can make a profit off it. These guys were entrepreneurs. We can go around casting out demons, and we can make money off it. So they would go around, and their idea of casting out demons is they would pray, in the name of Jesus, That Paul declares, we cast you out. These guys had no union with Jesus. They thought they could just pray a formula and they would be blessed. So they tried it out. They went up to this demon-possessed man. They said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we cast you out. And this man looked at these seven sons of Sceva and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know. 
But we have no idea who you guys are. And this one man proceeded to beat the crap out of these seven sons of Sceva until they were left fleeing with their clothes torn and their bodies bleeding. Listen, our victory does not come from praying a formula or repeating a cliche. Our victory comes from our union with Christ, which means it starts in the secret place. If we're going to win more, we have to be people of the secret place. People that nurture our union with Jesus and walk in that. Come on, let's continue. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, The next point in your notes is the full armor of God. The full armor of God. What does that mean? That means put it all on. Listen, the armor of God is for both offense and defense. And we need it all. We need offense and defense. My seven-year-old Hannah is, is starting to, to, to figure out in life that on Sunday afternoons we watch a lot of football. And so she doesn't really fully understand football, but, but, but she's trying to. And, and one of the things she loves is to chant defense. So she'll come out in the living room, and she won't even know who's playing, but she'll just say, is the team we're rooting for on defense? And I'll be like, yeah. And she'll be like, all right, defense, defense, defense. Come on, I love, I love my kids watching football with me. But you can't win games if all you do is play defense. You got to have some offense. And you can't win games if all you do is play offense. Right? If you score 50 points, that's great. But if you give up 56, you lost the game. We got to put on the whole armor because it requires us to play offense and defense. It protects us from the attacks of the enemy, but it also gives us victory to move forward and advance against the enemy. Put it all on. And then listen, once you've put it all on, don't forget that you have it on. Live like you're wearing the full armor of God, which means we don't live in the fear of the enemy. It also means we don't live in apathy. It means we don't live uh, just sitting down, right? Nobody puts armor on and then just sits down on the couch and watches TV. That would be awkward and uncomfortable, and you would sweat a lot, right? We put armor on to go to war, so when you put your armor on, put it all on, and then don't forget that you have it on so that when the enemy comes to attack you, you're ready for battle. The full armor of God. Next thing in your notes is this. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. Verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What I find amazing is that Paul was writing this letter in chains. He was chained up. Why was he chained up? Because people had wrongfully accused him. 
People had wrongfully arrested him. People had wrongfully tortured him. People had wrongfully taken his rights away. People had wrongfully put him on a boat and shipped him off to Rome, and that boat got caught in a storm and crashed on an island, and he got bitten by a snake, and all kinds of stuff happened because people treated him wrongfully. And yet after all of that happened, as Paul is sitting on house arrest, shackled in chains, writing a letter, he felt compelled to remind everyone that people are not the enemy. If anyone had an excuse to think that people were the enemy, it was Paul. And the only thing he did is remind us that they're not. People are not the enemy. It's the spiritual powers of darkness. It's the world forces of this present age. It's the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's Satan and his host of demons. That's the enemy. Now, people might hurt you, and then Satan's going to want to use that pain to attack you, but it doesn't mean that the people are the enemy. People might mistreat you, but people are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and people hurt us because people are broken. We suffer because we live in a broken world, but people are not the enemy. We do not pray against people. We pray against the forces of darkness. We do not attack people. We attack Satan. Come on, we are not at war with people. It is not people that are hindering us. It's Satan that's hindering us. And we got to have that right perspective. Listen, we live in divisive times. Now, we got a presidential election on Tuesday, along with a lot of other local and state elections, but we got a presidential election, and we live in very divisive times. Can we just remind ourselves that if somebody has a different opinion than us, that that doesn't make them our enemy? Come on, if somebody has a different opinion than us, that we don't take that personally? Right? The devil is at work in our disunity. The devil is at work in the divisiveness, but it's not the people. It's not the people. Come on, people are not the enemy. And the next thing is this. Stand firm. Stand firm. It says it in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then in verse 13, it says, after you've done everything, to stand firm. And what does stand firm mean? It means you're victorious. That's what it means. I think we get this wrong idea of stand firm, that stand firm just means that I just got to hold on for my life, and I am just constantly being overwhelmed, and God is just telling me to just, just try to hang on, and maybe after all of this awful onslaught, I'll end up in heaven eventually. That is not what stand firm means. In the original Greek language that Paul is writing in, stand firm means that when the battle is over, you're still standing and the enemy's not. That's what stand firm means. Stand firm also doesn't imply that you're just desperately holding on in defense. Stand firm means that you're advancing forward on offense. Stand firm means we're victorious. Stand firm means that we win. Stand firm means... That the enemy has fallen, and the only thing left to do is to collect all the spoils of war. Right? We talked about Jehoshaphat. 
God said, just march into battle singing worship songs, and I'll win the battle for you. Sure enough, when they got to the battlefield, the enemy had all killed each other, and all they found was a battlefield full of the dead enemy. The only thing left to do was to gather the spoils. And there was so many spoils, it took them three days to collect it all. Stand firm means we are victorious. And when the enemy is pushed back, we move forward and we collect the spoils on the way. But we keep moving forward. God has called us to live as a victorious people. Who? come on. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore. There it is again. Three times he says it. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Come on, this is the full armor of God. And I love this. I'd never looked into this before, but you'll notice on the screen, anytime that all of the words are in capital letters, that means that it's quoting from the Old Testament. And I didn't realize that almost all of the armor of God that Paul is talking about here was quoted from the Old Testament. All right, listen, Isaiah 59, 17 he, he being God, God put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Listen to Isaiah 11.5. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Isaiah 52.7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. Right, The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the feet, uh, the shoes of preparation to share the gospel. Not only, this isn't just the armor of God because it's armor that God gives us. This is the armor of God because it's the armor that God himself wears. And if it works for God, then it should work for us. Right? The belt of truth or... That word could actually be translated faithfulness. The belt of faithfulness. So the, the, the very thing that, that, that holds it all together. You could either look at it as it's the truth of God's word that holds it all together. Or it's our faithfulness to God that holds everything together in our lives. The breastplate of righteousness it's being right with God that protects our hearts, right? It's the helmet of salvation. It's surrendering our lives to Christ that transforms our mind and, and protects our minds. It's the shoes of the preparation that we are ready to go on a moment's notice. If Jesus calls, I'm going to go share the gospel because I've got the shoes on. I've got the sword of the Spirit. I have the Word of God ready to declare. I've got the shield of faith. My faith is going to extinguish any flaming arrow that the devil shoots at me. And so in your notes, what I want to encourage is this. Learn the armor and the significance of every piece. I don't have time today to break down the significance of every piece, but I encourage you to do it. Study it. Understand it. And then ask God, to identify the weakness in your armor. Ask God to show you, God, where is the weakness in my armor? Is it in my righteousness that I'm living a life that is pleasing to you? 
Is it in my readiness? Am I ready to share the gospel? Am I not? Is it that I have taken up the word of God? Is that a weakness in my life? Is it the helmet of salvation? Have I not surrendered my will and my thought life to God? Ask God to identify the weakness in your armor and then build upon it little by little. Right? As you put the armor on, build upon it. Lord, would you work on my righteousness? As I put on this breastplate, God, can I find my righteousness in you? Can I live a life that's pleasing to you? Can you help me in that, Lord? Just build upon it little by little as we put it on. And then finally, verse 18. With all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. We just talked about that, right? Paul is writing this letter in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Putting your armor on is just the beginning. So what needs to happen? We need to go to the secret place. We need to find our strength and our victory from our union with Jesus. And there in the secret place, we put on the full armor of God. We put it all on. And, and I know some people ha have taken on the mindset, well, I put the armor on once and I never take it off, so why do I have to keep putting it on every day? Well, that's fine if you left it on, but maybe in the secret place you need to remind yourself that you have it on and so that you can fight like somebody who's got the armor of God on, so that you can make your decisions like somebody who's got the armor of God on, so that you can live your life like somebody who has the armor on. So we go to the secret place and we find our strength and our union with Jesus. And in that place, we put on the full armor of God. But once we've got the armor on, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Now we got to do something with it. We put our armor on to go to war. And Paul says, you got your armor on. Come on. Let's go to war. He says, start praying. Start praying so you can see in your notes, what do we do with the armor on? Number one, we declare the Word of God, right? Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you got the armor on, start declaring the Word of God. Start declaring the Word of God against the devil. Start declaring the Word of God against the lies that come into your life. Start declaring the Word of God over every situation in your life. Start declaring the Word of God over your family. Start declaring the Word of God. The second thing is pray persistently. Pray and keep on praying. Do battle, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in nature for the pulling down of strongholds. Come on, we go to warfare in prayer. And, and listen, Paul asks people, listen, pray for me, he says. Pray on my behalf. It's okay to ask people to pray for you, but only if you're praying for yourself also. Right? If you're going to ask other people to pray for you, but you're not willing to put the armor on and to go to war for yourself, what good does that do? Pray persistently. And then the third thing is share the gospel. If you've got your armor on, go share the gospel. A part of that armor is the shoes of readiness. Putting your armor on is just the beginning. It's time to be a people that are going to go to war. Let me have the worship team come back up today. 
We're going to finish with this. We've been talking about every week in this series about making a shift, about making a shift in our lives. And so here's the the final shift that we're going to be encouraged to make, and that is the shift from more strategy to more prayer. The shift from more strategy to more prayer. Listen, strategy is good, but not without prayer. Having a plan is great, but only if you're praying over that plan and through that plan and during every step of that plan. Having a plan without the power of God does no good. But having a plan that is soaked and saturated in the power of God is going to bring us victory. And we were made to win more, right? Going back to the beginning, we were made to advance the kingdom of God. We were made to be a church that makes disciples. Come on, we were made to be bold in confidence. We were made to, 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 to not be tripped up by the, the tricks and the traps and the schemes of the devil and the trials and the difficulties that come into our life. We, we were made to hunger for the things of God, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We were made to win more. How are we going to win more? Listen, we've got plenty of strategy. We got great strategy in the church. We got great plans for the church. We got great structure for how the church is going to go. What we need is more prayer. We need more people with their armor on. We need more people going after this thing. Listen, there's only one way to develop more hunger for prayer, and that is to pray. Prayer is one of those things where the only way you can develop a hunger for it is to start doing it. So you want to start praying more? You just got to start praying. That's it. That's the only tip I can give you. There's no other secret to it. If you've lost a heart and passion for prayer and and you don't really spend any time in the secret place and and you don't have any sort of intercessory prayer life and you're not putting the armor on and you're not going after the things of God and you're not fighting the spiritual warfare, the only tip I can give you is start praying. That's it. Set aside five minutes and just start praying. Set aside five minutes and just get in the secret place and just start praying more. And I guarantee you, it will develop a hunger for more. And maybe five minutes will turn into 10 minutes. And maybe 10 minutes will turn into 20 minutes. And maybe 20 minutes will turn into 40 minutes. And the more you pray, the more hungry you will get to pray. And if we can make this shift, we will see this victory. And as a church, we will advance the kingdom of God. We will push back the forces of darkness. So listen, it's okay. Keep asking people to pray for you. We're in this together. But don't be asking people to pray for you if you're not ready to join, right? Listen, if we all show up to war with our armor on and someone shows up on the front lines of battle with no armor, there's suddenly a liability. Now, not only are we worried about fighting the fight, but we're also worried about having to kind of guard and protect this person that has no armor on. Don't show up to war with no armor on. Let's put it on. Let's win more. Let's be victorious. Come on, will you stand with me today? Let's just start putting it into practice right now. I know usually the way we finish a service is I pray for you. But come on, the way we're going to finish a service that we're talking about praying more, we're talking about doing more warfare, we're talking about winning more, isn't just for you to listen to me pray. It's for all of us to start praying. So that's what we're going to do right now for our digital campus, wherever you're at, your living room. Maybe you're listening to this in your car. Whatever the case may be, we're just going to start praying. 
We're just going to start doing warfare. Whatever is on your hearts, you might be praying against sickness. You might be praying for a loved one. You might be praying for somebody to get saved. You might be praying for your family to be restored. You might be praying to get through a difficult season. You might be praying to discover your masterpiece so that you can go out and be an everyday missionary. You might be praying against the forces of darkness that are affecting the atmosphere of our island, that are affecting the atmosphere of wherever you live. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Sugi, just begin to lay down some music for us. And let's just begin to to go after God in prayer right now. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Don't feel awkward. Just start praying. Come on. Come on, if you want to pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Whatever comes out of you, let's just begin to pray right now in Jesus' name.